So with our Bibles, would you grab it and open it up? We are uh, uh, to Galatians chapter chapter four, but we're going to do a little running head start in chapter three, a little bit, a little back end of it. As as you get there, um, one of our ushers will be more than happy to get there. And if you're at home right now, maybe you got a digital device, you can go there really fast to that. Galatians chapter four. As I, this week, I was talking with our team about uh, this week's message, and uh, they encouraged me to, to share something with you as I was sharing with them. And so I, I'm fairly new to this location. I, I'm, it's exciting, it's a delight to be here uh, and to be a part of everything. So I've never had an office really for a couple, since we've been here until officially the other day, uh, I got an office. And like if you've, if you've been packing and moving and experiencing that, you know you got boxes everywhere full of stuff. And my wife was asking me, you have an office, right? Can you get some of the boxes out of our house into that office, so to speak? You got a ton of books, do something with them. And so I, I, I did, and I thought it'd be cool to, to share, share this w- with you because um, I, I, found, I found my old journal, my first journal. I, I got it at Costco. I was like, wow, I... Uh, this is this is going to be great. Uh, I'm leaving Costco as my like my parting gift to myself. I was employed there for from ten years, and and I was like, you know, I I'll, I'll get a journal, and I'm going to do what every person should do, and they write they write in it. Well, I wrote only twelve entries, <laughs> and there I took a lot of other different notes, but I got a lot a lot of blank spaces. Really sad. But I was, it was interesting. I was like, cool, I wanted to see what I wrote. And June 2nd, 2007, I wrote something that, that I think is pertinent for today. And I, I wanted to share it with you. Um, I, I wrote, today, I was able to come home from a long day at work, 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. at the kids' fair at the Cardinal Stadium. Uh, I was a marketer, so that was, that was like the last. And never again will I do that again. <laughs> but I, I got to come home and see my wife and daughter. And, and we went to the park and read the Bible and played with Leah. We only had uh, one child at that time. Afterwards, we put her to bed, but she woke up, and I got to rock her to sleep. At first, she wouldn't, but but as I began to sing to her, the eyes that were so bright and wide-eyed began to sink, and she began to relax. As I finished with, stay awake, don't close your eyes, and, and began to sing, uh, Jesus loves me, this I know. Uh, she, sw- she slept very good, but she wouldn't, she wouldn't let it go of my, my middle finger. When I tried to pull it away, Leah would hold it tighter. It was awesome to be her dad at that moment. I eventually removed my finger, but she was looking for it, so I gave her my pinky finger for a while. For a child to hold on and to cling to her father and to be at rest is a great feeling, not just for her, but also for her daddy. It's a powerful thing to, to have your child in your palms, in your hands. And as I looked at my daughter that night, I can honestly tell you, I never really wanted to let her go. And I've always been trying to hold her hand Ever since, ever since she's been little growing up, it's been important for me to, to hold on to her hand. And uh, as she gets older, we love to take pictures uh, together, walking in, in different places and different things, and just to remind not just her, but even me, that uh, she's always daddy's 
daddy's little girl in, 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 a, in a neat essence, in a neat way. But as she grows up and gets older, I, I can't let her run off, so I hold her, <laughs> hold her tight and, and don't want her to go. And, but, I, but I realize, and I want her to realize, and I want all my kids to realize that a father's love is personal. It is deep. It's precious. It's something that shouldn't be discounted. But many, and I realize in our day and age, in our culture, we don't have a dad to speak of. Most of us in America would love to say that we have the perfect family. But I'll be honest, I'm, like most of us in this room, we, we don't have the best of dads, or we, we even see dads on TV that don't even measure up to the measure of what a dad should be. They're always like the budding of the joke. Because in life, it seems like we always remember our faults of our fathers. Even as a father, I think of my faults greater than I do of my wins and celebrations that I, victories as a dad. But it seems like I always let her down or I always let my boys down and, and I hold on to that more. And sometimes when we look at our own past, our own dads, we think of our dads maybe at their faults and failures. Whether that's good or bad, it's hard to process. And we have this thing that I like to say even this morning, a daddy issue. We have these daddy issues that we come about with that are real. And we look and we wonder about our dads, whether they are good or sometimes bad. And some of you in this room, because as I've done the study and done just some looking and research, one out of every four children in today's current climate live without a dad at their home. Some of them have dads at their home, but yet their dads are nowhere to be seen. In fact, a dad can have a conversation with his kids while he's on his phone, not looking into their eyes, but they're looking into someone else's eyes, like a TV set or their own device. A dad is more out of place and out of sorts in today's climate than one who is at home. In fact, the stats are that uh, we are one out of every four homes without a dad end up uh, their kids four times greater in poverty. One of the craziest stats that I found more likely is that you are seven times more likely if you are a girl to have a child out of wedlock if your dad is not present in your life. Seven times greater. That means you are a single mom from the beginning of, right out of adolescence, so to speak. You're not in a marriage, you're not in a thing because marriage is really a precedent of a husband, of a dad being around and available. We find that when dads aren't available and around, that they are two times, three times more likely for behavioral problems, they face abuse, they'll commit a crime, they'll drop out of high school, suffer obesity, they'll do drugs, depression will rise, divorce will happen, substance abuse. This is just, I just Googled it real fast out of the U.S. Census Bureau. 19.7 million people were interviewed. And the expectancy of every single person here in this place is that the life and expectancy of a person without a dad is on a trajectory downhill. But there is hope for every single one. And I like hope. I like to be at a place where like there, there is encouragement and there's joy just around the bend. It's almost like a song, just around the river bend. <laughs> but children who have their dads, children who actually have their fathers, they do better in school. They are three times more likely to not mistreat others around them. They are emotionally and sociably well-being, well-doing, 
and they have a likelihood of lasting a marriage and being there for their own kids. See, the hope that every single one of us in this room can actually say, no matter what issue you might have with your father here on this earth, or maybe your absentee dad, or your, maybe, maybe a dad, you have a great father issue going on. But for the majority of us in this room, we can honestly say, and hopefully say by the end of today, that you have a father, you have a dad, who will be there for you no matter what. And that we all have something in common. That when we become a child of God, we become a part of a bigger family. That we have a dad who will be there for you through thick and thin, through, through everything. And that's what Paul the Apostle wanted to get across to those who lived in Galatia. They wanted to know their identity. They had an identity crisis. They wanted, do I have a father? Do I have a dad? Do I have a real place, a real home to, to be there, for someone to be there for me? And that's why I think Paul even addresses something really clear for them to understand their own identity crisis. Would you look with me? Galatians chapter three for just a moment, verse 26. And he says this, for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For you are all, he's, he's talking to every single person who believed Jesus Christ to not just be some man who came to this earth to die, but he was, a, he was the God man who came to this earth to redeem people from their sins, to conquer death, to conquer the grave. Jesus, when he died on the cross three days later, uh, spoiler alert, he rose from the grave. And because he lives, he offers us hope, a promise. He offers us life. And he says, for you are all now sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. When you believe Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior, you now have grace or forgiveness of sins. You now are part of God's family. He says it's by faith. Faith comes from hearing and hearing from God's word. That's what Paul would tell the Romans. And he, and he says simply this, for all of you, verse 27, who are baptized into Christ, have clothed yourselves with Christ. All of us who have come a part of the family of God, you have been now baptized into his family. And now God has clothed you with his righteousness. I'm a guy who likes physical illustrations. Now, I, normally I probably would have brought up a robe and put it on myself. And I'd probably walk around the house. If you see me at my house with a robe on, you'll know I'm, I'm walking as a child of God, okay? Because I've been covered with a robe of his righteousness. But I honestly don't do that at home, so don't get weird thoughts of that. But what I like to do, and I have a, my pastor, he taught me something years ago, and I thought it would be great to, to demonstrate it with you. Some of you might have seen this before, but, but I, I think this person, because I, I think you understand and you unpack this better when you see it visually. When God has baptized us into his family, we have become a, a part of his. We have been robed, clothed in his righteousness. So I, I like this illustration. This is a picture of your life before you sinned. We are perfect, holy, wonderfully made, and yet something happened. We have all fallen short of perfection. We've all have sinned. Ah, the wages of sin is, is death. This is a picture of like the, the death that has come upon me. I've, I've now been covered because all have fallen short. All the wages of my sin is death. I am now covered by, by my filthy rags, so to speak. So I need a way. I need a way of escape. So God came. God 
came into the picture. He wanted to redeem his people. Now, the only way he could redeem his people was, as we read last week in Galatians 3, Jesus became a curse for us. For all who are, hang on a tree become a curse. And Jesus hung on a tree. And, and this, this is what he did. He came upon us. Now, forgive me for my stain. I, I spilled anointing oil on it this morning. I was so bummed about this. But, but here, Jesus came. He came to die for us at the cross. And it's by his blood that would be shed, it would cover all of the darkness. It would cover all of my sickness. And he would take my, my perfect once life that has now been covered by my filthy rags and he would cover it with his precious blood. And just like Paul the apostle said, for I now have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I that live. I have died with Christ, but it is now Jesus Christ who lives within me. And now I have been resurrected with Jesus. The old things have been passed away. All things have become new. I am now perfect in the eyes of God. And any one of you who are now a child of God, this is how God sees you. You are perfect. Why? Because God doesn't see, God the Father doesn't see your sins. No, he doesn't see that you're, you're cursed. No, he sees, he sees the blood that Jesus paid the price. He sees a perfect cleansing blood. So thus he sees you perfect and clean. Does that make sense? It's so good, it's so clear. And, and this is what Paul, if he, if he could visually tell him, this is what's happened for you. And therefore, he says in verse 28, he says, listen guys, there is neither a Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ Jesus, then you are Abraham's descendants. You are an heir according to this promise. You have the promise that your sins have been washed clean as white as snow. You have been forgiven from your past, your present, and your future. And everybody is a part of something. He says, listen, there's, there's, not, a, there's not a Jew out there, a Greek out there that's different from one another. There's not a slave or free man. There's not a male nor a female. Listen, we are all one in Jesus Christ. We belong to this great big family. And your God, your Savior, Jesus, is your dad. Now, this is what we need to do this morning. Because of COVID, I thought it'd be great if we, we, we could hold hands out like this with one another. But we're not going to do that today because of COVID. So maybe you at home, if you could watch us, you can do this with me. Everybody in this room with me right now, just want you to, could you lean to the left? Lean to the left. Everybody. Okay. okay sorry. My right. Okay. <laughs> You lean to you. Okay, now we go to, just follow me. How about, okay, and then go like this. All right, ready? We are family. Come on. Find on every brother and sister and see what, come on, I don't know. We are family. All right, yeah. Now, not every you guys have rhythm, that's for sure. Uh, but that's okay, because listen, there's so much diversity in the family of God. There, there are so many, I have, I have a crazy uncle. I've got a crazy cousin. I got a, aunt. No, I'm not talking physically, I'm talking spiritually. I'm like, we got so many different varieties in the kingdom of God and praise God because our God is not a God of just who's in the box, who's like, there's one style of church only. No, like, he loves the Baptists. He loves the Pentecostals. He loves the non-denominationals. He loves the people in a hut down in, uh, 
some third world country that is just sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are all one and the same, and we are a part of a big family of God. Amen? God is a great God of diversity, and, and we are all family. We are a part of it. I love what God is doing at, at you know, such and such church down the street. It's awesome. I'm so glad certain people go to other churches. That's great. We are not the only church in town. There are so many great churches in the valley, and people need to be celebrated because God celebrates them all the time. He loves what God's people are doing, and we belong. Verse 29 says, you belong, we belong to Christ. And if we do, then we are Abraham's descendants. We are an heir according to this promise. What is an heir, an, an heir, and, and what is the promise? The promise is eternal life. We have a birth inheritance. We have been given a, a new beginning, a new foundation in Jesus. And every child that is born into a family, a good father knows how to give good gifts to his kids. And a child that is, has a dad that's been saving, and when his dad passes away, he gives his son riches. Unfortunately, though, in America, it seems like those when parents die, those kids fight over those riches. And there's division, disunity because of it. How silly, how silly it is, because these foolish things, they'll just fleet away, they'll just pass. But it's fascinating, though, our father, he did something great for us. When he sent his son, he gave us something so wonderful. He gave us riches beyond measure. He gave us, he gave us something out of his death came life. But Jesus just didn't stay dead. He rose from the grave. And because he lives, not only does he give us the riches and wealth of heaven, but he gives us forgiveness from now until eternity. That's forever. He gives us rewards beyond measure. He gives us the right to rule and reign with him. He gives us the opportunity and privilege to be in his presence. Oh, just to be in his presence. That's where I want to be. I'm an heir of that. You're an heir of that if you believe Jesus to be your savior. You're one of his special kids that you should take this identity seriously. And we wonder like, I don't have, I don't know who my dad is. And that's why Jesus came to show you and to demonstrate to you how much of a father he wants to be for your life. And I believe it's not an accident. Actually, you're actually here today that you're listening to this. You're gonna be tuning in. God has a word for you to say to you, and he wants you to know that he loves you right where you're at. But there are things that happen to kids that go along the way that we just forget our own identity, forget our own purpose. That's okay. That's why Jesus brought you a playbook, a guidebook. He brought you some help along the way. Let's look at this airship, shall we, for a second. Verse one of chapter four. Now I say as long as the heir, though, is, is a child, he doesn't differ at all from a slave, although he is owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by the father. He's like a, a child and a slave. They're one and the same in this mindset. As we're talking about these things, being a child of God, it's like a child and a slave. Um, they don't know the difference between a, a quarter and a nickel. They're excited about it. You and I do. If we gave our kids a million dollars, that we'd be like, wow. And, and if they got like, a, a, you know, a, some yarn, they'd be like, wow. They, they didn't know the difference. But there's a guardian and a manager. There's, there's a person above them that's gonna guide them and teach them and to help them at the right time, he'll release 
the, the special blessing. And so, so he says in verse three, so also we, while we were children, we were held in bondage or, or custody under the elemental things of this world. Those elemental things, and he's speaking to Jews who became Christians. He's talking about their law that they had just come out of. You know, if you want to hold your spot here for a second, go to, to the right for just a few books over. There's a small little letter called Colossians. It starts with a C-O-L, chapter two. And, and he says this in Colossians chapter two of these elemental things. He says, therefore, in verse 16, Colossians chapter two, it says, therefore, no one is to act as your judge in regard to your food or drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day, things which are mere shadows of what is to come. But the substance, the substance is Jesus. So let no one keep defrauding you of your prize by delighting in your self-abasement and the worship of angels taking this stand on visions he has seen inflated without cause with his flesh and mind and not holding fast to the head to whom your entire body being supplied and held together in the joints and ligaments grows in which growth, which is from God. If you have died with Christ to the elemental principles, what he was just referring to, those elemental things, those things that Paul's talking about in Galatians and Colossians are those Sabbath moons, those worshiping of angels, those different things the Jews were kind of doing that they made up. There's flesh-minded thoughts, Paul says here, if you, are in, if you died with Christ to the elemental principles of this world, why, as if we are living in this world, do you submit yourself to these decrees? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Why, why do you go there? Why do you do that, he says? He says, you put yourself back. Why do you go back to these foolish things? You're a child of God. God has redeemed you. And so he says it so beautifully in chapter four again. Look at Galatians four, verse four. We had right back there. Galatians four, verse four. He says, but, ah, oh, would you say that word with me? What? But, I love this word. It's the word of hope in all the Bible. Uh, God, God loves this word, truly. It's the word of hope. He says, but when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who are under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. You see, we, you might have been held captive by the ways of this world. You might have been captive by, by this law. But when the fullness of time came, and boy, that fullness of time was perfect. It was the time when, when Rome was ruling the world. It was a time when Rome made a roadway throughout the entire regions around the world in that known world. It was the time when Rome had a, like a one language for all the people to be speaking. It was a perfect time for the distribution centers for around the, the coastlines, for everybody to have. It was the perfect time for a perfect person to come into play, to spread the gospel. It was the perfect time as the prophets had declared from long ago, whether it was Daniel, Micah, Zechariah, Isaiah, David, it didn't matter who's speaking in the Old Testament. They all spoke about this one time, this one place, this one person who would separate BC from AD. His name is Jesus. And he came at the perfect time to redeem those who were under this this flesh, this law. He says it so beautifully. He says, but when the perfect, the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, 
born under the law. He, he calls back, references Galatians 3, I mean, excuse me, Genesis 3, verse 15. He says, born of a woman. This is speaking of the virgin birth. He doesn't say born of a husband and a wife. He says of a, of a woman. This is a miraculous birth, the virgin birth. He's like, this is something that God told Eve, out of you shall come the seed. Out of you shall come the chosen one. Out of you shall come salvation. Out of you is going to come the one who's gonna defeat the devil and his ways and death. He's gonna make all things new. And he was born under the law. Not only was it spoken way before, like in Abraham's promise, but he, he lived all 613 of these laws that are written in, in this, this Old Testament text that was given, passed down to Moses, called the Mosaic Law. He lived a perfect life. He did nothing wrong. And he was born under it. He, he threw it so that he might redeem those who not just lived the Jewish life, but he redeemed those, as Paul includes, everyone. Uh, Romans, here, here's a spot you want to turn to, just want to highlight for a second. Romans 3, Galatians, is, 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 it goes to the left just a little bit. I want you to see this. I don't, I don't want you to miss this. This is good. Romans chapter 3. There's a few things that people always ask and wonder, well, well, if Jesus came, he came for the Jews then, right? To, under the law. No, no, no. Let, let me help you out. Let me walk you through some steps. Uh, Romans, he clarifies it. Galatians is like the pocket Bible for theology. Romans is the big book of theology. Galatians is the condensed version of Romans. So in essence, this is what he's saying. If you look at verse 10 of Romans 3, he says, there is none righteous. No, not even one. Is there anybody righteous? No, no. So Jesus came to redeem those who are under the law. So he, he unpacks it even further. If you go back as chapter, chapter two for a minute, and you look at verse 14 for a minute, chapter two, Romans two, verse 14, it says, for when Gentiles who do not have the law do instinctively the things of the law, these not having the law are a law to themselves in that they show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience bearing witness and their thoughts alternately accusing or else defending them. Oh, cool. So, so, so Jesus came to redeem everyone who's under the law. And if you didn't have the Jewish law, the Mosaic law, guess what? You had a law in your heart, a conscience. And you knew the difference between right and wrong. And you knew that there was a God. Look at the stars. Who made that? Your mom? No, because <laughs> every kid's like, mom, did you make that? I didn't do that. No, come on. No, there's a God. There's a God in place. And, and he's like, hey, God came to redeem you and he placed you to be a family. If you look back at Galatians chapter four, verse five, he says to redeem him from the curse law. So everyone, everyone might receive the adoption as sons. Adoption's a beautiful picture. It's a beautiful word. In, in, Romans day, in, the, in the days of the Roman world, Roman legal system, it was a way of removing uh, old relationships that were severed. All of your debts and obligations were canceled. The person that was placed under that authority of the father was now a part of a new family. Every person who was adopted in the Roman mindset, 
in a, in a legal way where I'm assuming Paul is getting this from because he uses this unique word adoption. It only happens five times in scripture and Paul is the only one who uses this word. And Paul comes out and he says, listen, you've been adopted into God's family. That means all of your debts have been forgiven. All of your obligations of your past have been forgotten. You don't need them. Everything, and now you are part of this new thing now. In fact, in those days, a father was now in control of all the adoptees' possessions. And the father was responsible for the actions of their son or daughter. No matter how they behaved, no matter how they were treated and acted, the father's like, well, that's my son, that's my daughter, and I'm proud of them. You wonder what God thinks of you as his kids? Do you think he looks down at you and says, oh, you're a waste of space. Get out of here, I disown you. No, he looks at you and says, I'm proud of you, but dad, he acted so miserably. Did you see so-and-so? He's a bad Christian. Yeah, but I love him, and I gave my life for him. I'm proud of him. He's a part of the family of God. But I don't want to be his brother. I don't want to be his sister. So? Does your dad ever say that to you? So? No? Or does your dad say, I know? Does your dad say, uh, because? Because? Think of these words. See, when we're a part of the family of God, some of these things, these comments, these, these questions that we come up with, they're all a part of who we are, God, how God made us to be. God loves you right where you're at. You're a part of God's family. You're part of this big unity, this thing. What this means for us as one of his kids is that you're a part of a bigger thing than you and I could ever realize. And we have a God who has great access. He wants to be your father personally. We had a worship auditions and one of the people that came, uh, her name is Kelly. Uh, Kelly, she's great with words. She, she loves to write, and I, I asked her to write uh, a spoken word uh, thing to unpack this. I thought it would be neat to share it from like the perspective of God's story. And, and so then I asked uh, J-Dub, J-Dub, can you come up here for a second, bro? Us today? Would you guys welcome J-Dub for a second? Let the church say amen. So if you remember where you were when JFK got shot, you, you, if you're old enough to remember that, when poetry would be read, if something hit your heart, you would snap your fingers. Anybody remember that? But the children of God, if something hits our heart, we say amen, or we stand up, or we raise our hands, or if you grew up in the church I grew up in, you uh, jump over a couple pews. So we'll see what happens here. Our father's love. A father's love knows no measure. Though in love, he guides a child's duty and guards his treasure. In premature title, inheritance may end in penitence. So he measures right time. That's a father's love. Consider an heir, while by law he may in inheritance share, a father is aware of due timing that to view upon a child as to view upon a servant, it's not to deprive, but to be observant. 
His preparation is His inspiration. That's a Father's love. Now, our Heavenly Father, in His omnipotently, impeccably appointed time, sent His only Son to be with man for an elevation through dispensation from dependence to inheritance, from enslaved apprenticeship to sonship. We have been made children of God by our Father's love. He sent His Son to pay the fee so we could be free, no longer enslaved or depraved. Okay, hold up. Let me put a quarter in the meter and let's park right here for a minute. I'm not trying to disturb thee, but I don't think you heard me. I said he sent his only son to pay your fee so you could be free, no longer enslaved or depraved. Can I get a witness? And through him and the spirit that indwells, a fire swells and a small, raw cry rises as we call out to him, Abba Father, Daddy. And as we humbly kneel, we intimately feel and appreciate our Father's love. Can the church say amen? Oh, I love that. Ah, a Father's love. It has no limits. It has no bounds. And God's love for you and for me, it's precious. And he doesn't want us to be away from it. He wants, that's why he came. I like how Paul said it in Galatians 1. He says that he came, he gave himself for our sins so that he might rescue us from this present evil age. It was according to his will. To him be the glory forever. God wanted to come and rescue us. It's like we were this child up in some castle. We were like sleeping beauty there. And there was a great dragon in between us and our prince, our knight in shining armor. And yet there's some moat, though, that has separated us from, from the opportunity for him to come. But for something, for God to come and show up, he came, and he came through the bridge known as the cross. And he defeated that dragon known as Satan so that he might redeem us. He might rescue us from his present evil age. And so that when he comes into your life, he comes right up that storm castle and he comes to rescue you. He comes to pick you up. And look what he says right there in Galatians 4, verse six. He says, now because you are sons, God has sent forth his spirit of his son into your hearts what cries out, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave but a son. And if a son, then you are an heir. You have a birth inheritance with God. You have eternal life now and forever. You are a child always because of his precious blood. You have been covered. You have been covered by his blood. All of your sins have been covered by his righteousness. And now you are seen pure in his eyes. You are his kids. And now deep within your hearts, his spirit lies within you. 
Because he wants you to know that thumbprint, that you are one of his. You can't not run away from his presence. There is nothing that can separate you from his love. Nothing. Not this death or or this life, or angels, nor principalities, things present, things to come. There's not even some height or death. No which way about it. Nothing can separate you from the presence and power of his love. This is a father's love, God. And he put it deeper than your hearts for you to cry out something so personal, so intimate. Recently when I was in Israel, I saw these kids running down the streets, and, and, and they're going, Abba, 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 Abba. And they were running to their, to their father. And I, and I went up to their dad and I asked him, hey, what, what does that mean? I know that's biblical. I, I've, I've read that. And he says, Abba, to me, to our family, means daddy. Daddy, daddy, daddy. Daddy, daddy, daddy. You see, deep within our hearts, when you come to know that God is not just some great big God of wrath, It's not this God up in the outer space. He's so big and so beyond. He doesn't care about poor little old me. And you come to realize that God is personally, intimately desiring a relationship with you. In fact, when he taught the the disciples how to pray, he says, and pray this way. Our, Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be his name. He says, start start with dad. Start with, he's my daddy. He's someone who who loves you personally, right where you're at. And what I love about him so much, when I think of God and the just magnitude of who he is, how Isaiah declares him, his hand spans the, from the fingertip, spans the universe, like from his pinky to his thumb. Talk about how big God is. God wanted to become so personal with us that he didn't just stand up lording over us, but no, he got down and he came down to this earth and he got down on his knees and he looked at you and me and he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. I love them right where they're at. Doesn't yell at us, doesn't curse at us. He's not upset with us or frustrated. But he comes down to this earth and he says, come, let them all come to me. All who are weary and burdened, I'll give them rest. My, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. Cast, have them cast every care upon me. Because I care for them, right where they're at, every person. And sometimes we get so mad at God and we think, I don't, I don't, I don't want to experience that. But listen, God's been telling you, he's been talking to you, he's been chasing you, he's been there with you, he's been patient with you. He is so kind and long-suffering. That means just super patient. He's willing to get down and be personal with you. And he's just waiting for you to talk with him sometimes. Just waiting for you to lean on his shoulder. The disciples try to push every child away from Jesus one time. And Jesus said, don't do that. Let them come to me. And if Jesus says we're his children, that means he wants all of us to come to him. I'd like to pray with you in just a moment, but before we do, I want to challenge you with two things. One, if you don't know 
Jesus to be your father, to be your savior. He desires to be that for you. He's been waiting for you. And I, I don't, again, I don't believe it's an accident. Maybe you just needed to rediscover, re-understand, imagine again that God loves you right where you're at. And he wants to be the best father figure possible to give you a new lens, a new eyes to see. Maybe though, secondly, you are a, um, you are a son, a daughter of a dad, no matter what they've done or been through, to you in your life. May I encourage you in the time you have left with your father, would you do everything you can to, to reach out and to forgive them the way that God has forgiven you, to love them the way God loves you? Maybe you're that dad. Maybe you're that mom that has stepped up to be like that father for your child's life. Man, I want to speak to you for just a moment. If that's you in this room, you've got one opportunity. We have just one chance to be a dad. There's too often this world has taught us to be an absentee father because we're doing too much with our phones. We're doing too much with others. We're doing too much for the church. We're doing too much for our friends. And we don't have enough time with our own kids. Let's change that. Let's make the opportunity to be a dad. To be an all-pro dad rise up when no other man will. Let's do what God's called us to be. It takes leadership. It takes courage. But be strong and courageous for God is with you. For you moms out there that are being like dads, don't give up. Pray for your kids. Be there for your kids. You be the best mom possible. Pray for their father no matter where they may be. Right now, we today, we can choose this day whom we want to serve. And you can serve your own flesh, your ideas, or you can serve Jesus. Jesus wants to come and to be a part of your solution to every problem of your life. Would you bow your head with me? Father in heaven, we come before you and we say thank you. Thank you that you are a God that desires for us to understand that you are a father to the fatherless that you are a shield and a defender to every child in need. And we need you now more than ever. Jesus, I pray that you would move mountains. The mountains I'm speaking about are our hearts. Lord, would you encourage us right now to listen to your will. Speak to us, embolden us to trust you. online, they've never made that decision to receive the gift of salvation, to believe on you as their Savior, for them to become a part of the family of God. Lord, I ask today that they would come to understand and know that. And to believe on you. And if that's you, I'd love to just lead you in a prayer right now. With your heads bowed, just you speaking to God Almighty. He's listening like to receive salvation, understanding, forgiveness, acceptance of a love and a life with him to be your father. He's offering that right now. 
would you pray in belief with me right now and say, dear God, dear Father, thank you. Thank you for loving me right where I'm at. For coming to this earth and to dying for, for me in my place. I believe you are my God. I believe you came to rescue me, to set me free. Thank you for rising from the dead and showing me you're God. It's because you live. I want to live for you. 